Hello and welcome to Tokyo Inklings. My name is CY, and you can find me on my website at tokyostationpens.com, on Instagram and TikTok at tokyostationpens, and on Twitter at tokyostationmnh. And my name is Jacob, and I'm Fudo Fan on Instagram and on Twitter, and have a blog at fudofan.com. And welcome to episode 42 of Tokyo Inklings. Now,、uh, Jacob, you know, we, we've done this several times.、Uh, we always start off with a review. So I'm going to go right into it, if you don't mind. Let's do it. All right. So、uh, the first review is by Jan Makes Things via Apple Podcasts from Australia.、Um, and Jan Makes Things says, like sitting in a room with friends, five stars. I've been dangerously enjoying this podcast for a few months now. I love the mood that CY and Jacob set, and the podcast sounds like friends sitting in a cafe chatting over their favorite hobby, which makes it a great, relaxing listen. I enjoy the juxtaposition of CY's energy against Jacob's calming presence. I really, <laughs> love, <laughs> I really love the Japanese focus the show has, being a major lover of Sailor exclusives. It's wonderful to hear them being talked about. As well as possible releases upcoming. I mentioned at the beginning that this podcast is dangerous as listening to it, and keeping the show notes open is bad for the wallet. That's what we're, can... what we're aiming for. I think、um, they managed to perfectly capture what we're trying to do, what we're hoping to do with this podcast. I'm very happy with this review. To make them spend money. <laughs> yes, of course, of course. <laughs> Um, I can attest、uh, to Jan's feelings because Jan、uh, often buys these sale exclusives from me. So,、um, you know, I, I know that Jan started this year with not so many sale exclusives, and now she's got a, a fairly decent collection of Hachimonjias and、uh, Shishkuras and stuff like that. So,、um, so I'd say, on my part,、uh, mission accomplished. And,、uh, and yes,、uh, pretty dangerous for her. But I think that's part of the fun, right? I mean, you, you learn stuff and you, you discover what's on the market,、um, and then you see something that maybe you like. And I think that's just the great thing about this hobby. There's something that,、uh, that is for everyone. And we, we kind of talked about this last episode, too, with the Marzen show and how we were juxtaposing the,、uh, the pilot and the sailor exclusives and how they're a bit different.、Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's always、um, something. Out there for somebody, and because our interests, you know, you and I, our interests aren't always aligned as well. So we. They usually really... aren't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, but that means we, we get to cover、um, quite a wide array of,、uh, of topics、um, yeah, there. And、sure. I, I wouldn't say we're necessarily like disinterested in each other's、um, interests, right? But it's maybe not something that we would have for ourselves. Sure. Except the Moonman T1. That's a great release. Yeah, for some reason, that, that, that's the one we, we, we agree on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right.、Um, and then moving on to the second review.、Uh, the second review is, I cannot pronounce this name, but it says, or it's written T S I S and then P W. Don't know how to say that, so I'm sorry if I butchered your name. Uh, but this was via a podcast from the United States of America. And、uh, this person says, Top source in English for the Japanese fountain pen scene! Exclamation mark. Five stars. First heard about Tokyo Inklings from The Pen Addict, 
CY and Jacob have a calm and soothing chemistry that work really well together. They are well researched and well knowledgeable about the Japanese fountain pen scene. One of the few podcasts that I feel safe having my sons listen to and try to also join me on this hobby. Always a pleasure to catch up on the latest episode, a couple of jolly good fellows. Only until his son starts um, spending money. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. And, you know, um, we do try to keep the podcast clean um, so that everybody can enjoy it. I I think it's it's so nice to know that people are out there, um, you know, sharing this hobby with 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 their kids and, and, you know, feeling safe to listen to our podcast while doing that. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And Jacob, you have a you have an offspring as well. Yeah, yeah. He's not quite into fountain pens, though. Uh, I bought him a, a, a Kakuno, but uh, he has shown little interest in that. Uh, we'll have to send him to re-education camp. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> All right. And uh, jokes aside, that uh, has been the reviews. And, you know, writing reviews for, for us is really the currency to pay us um, for what we do. The show is free. Uh, you get all the content for free, and it's going to stay that way. But we really appreciate when people write reviews for us and really spread the word. Um, help us uh, help us just, you know, make the podcast bigger, get more listenership. And so we really appreciate if you could write a review, um, make it your Instagram story, make it your Instagram post, uh, post on your Facebook groups, um, you know, talk about, about us on Reddit, on your TikToks, whatever it is. Um, that really, really helps us out. And something that uh, I was working on uh, a few weeks ago, and I kind of showed a draft already to Jacob, is that we are working on some sort of a Patreon uh, to be released in some time in the future. But for now, it is the best way to you know pay us uh, for what we do just by writing a review. And the best part about that is that it's free. It doesn't cost you anything. So please um, help us spread the word. Yeah, absolutely. And even if we do a Patreon, I mean, we're still going to have, you know, all the content is, is going to be free, as you say. And to be honest, I'm not too much in a hurry to do a Patreon. It will come eventually, but, you know, not in a hurry. Yep, that's right. And now let's uh, get into our episode. I've been uh, I, I've been in Hong Kong uh, for three weeks now. I came back to Japan yesterday mm. and... Um, you know, the quarantine was just absolutely brutal. Uh, we weren't allowed to leave our hotel rooms, got tested every two days while I was in Hong Kong. Um, and, you know, the results show there. It's zero locally transmitted cases. Um, go ahead. When you say tested, do they do the same kind of PCR test as in Japan where you, where you spit? So um, I got tested with the nasal and throat swab. Oh. Uh, I think I did that test three times and then to come back to Japan because Japan has to have special rules. So everywhere else in the world, they accept the nasal and throat swab. But mm. in in order to come back to Japan, you have to do the deep nasal swab. So that's the one where they really poke far down into your nasal canal. And I, I did that one uh, yesterday. Actually, I got tested twice yesterday. 
because um, I had to do that nasal um, test right. uh, to board the flight. And then after I got to Japan, I had to take the spit test. But otherwise, it was mostly um, the uh, nasal and throat swab, which was which was okay. Um, right. But I did like five tests in the last three weeks. Uh, all negative. Um, but now I'm back home. And I, I went to Hong Kong for, for several reasons. Um, I had some things that I needed to settle uh, in Hong Kong uh, regarding, you know, things like my passport, um, you know, family and stuff like that. But one of the other reasons why I went to Hong Kong is because I bought a pen from Muse Pens. Now, for those of you who aren't very familiar with the Hong Kong scene, there is actually quite a... a, a in my opinion, there is quite a vibrant scene in Hong Kong. Um, and the retail shops there, I would say there are two major ones now. There used to be more, but there are two major ones now. Maybe three, um, but two with like real stores, right? The first one is Ink House. And Ink House is the one where you see this huge wall of inks um, just mm. lined up. They have their own line of inks as well. I did buy one um, of their inks. And they're actually, apparently, they are the distributors of Sailor. And um, I was surprised because actually the prices at Ink House uh, were even better than they were in uh, in Japan. So uh, really cool to see that they had stuff like um, AP collection. They had you know loads of Urushi, loads of super high end stuff. Um, and I think they're also uh, well. I know that they're also related to uh, Lamy China. Um, so they had all these cool Lamy exclusives and they're the ones that are going to um, bring out the Lamy minions out to, to Hong Kong. So that was really, really cool. And so um, that was kind of the, the first shop. The second shop is Muse Pens. Yeah. And it's, it's quite interesting, the difference between these two shops because Ink House had a really clean, um, almost like, uh, almost, if I had to give a comparison, they were almost like Shosaikan, right? Um, mm. They're, they're really uh, cool, lots of high-end stuff, you know, stuff that you'd probably never be able to see it anywhere else. And then there's Muse Pens. And Muse Pens is, uh, is more like Boonga Box, all right? This is Mr. CPN's shop, right? That is, yes, it is Mr. CPN's shop. And um, the, I'll have to say the, the visual merchandising is excellent at Ink House. And, um, and Muse Pens looks a lot more like your um how how should i say this more generic fountain pen shop it kind of looks a little mm. bit more like um more like uh like fujisan's place right mm. um however i think that something that they really did well is they've actually managed to make that into a community space so when i went there are just a lot of people who come in, you know, hang out with the staff, chat with the staff, and, you know, maybe write with a few pens, and they, they, they get out. And you can try all the pens. Um, they had some really cool stuff. They had some customized uh, auroras. They had, uh, they had like, a Red Ripple Ebonite um, 3776. They had all these, like, cool things as well. Um, but it was just less, I would say, less organized. Right. But at the same time, a bit more inviting. So that kind of vibe that they've created, I think, was is is very successful for them. And you know, I, I really, really enjoyed how 
much they focused on mm. that community there. Um, and it was a, it was a very, it was a very uh, cool and, and good vibes space. I really enjoyed that. Now, I bought a pen from Muse Pens while I was in Japan, and one of the reasons uh, why I went was to to pick up this pen. And this pen, um, funnily enough, is the Aurora Mount Fuji. So why did you buy that pen from Muse Pens? I, I, so, I mean, not why did you buy the pen, but but why did you choose yeah. to buy it from Muse Pens? Yeah, I I talked about this uh, Aurora. Um, Sun Moon Lake, uh, I think a few episodes ago, mm. right? and I, I, I bought it from the U.S. Um, and at that time, I was like, I, I really want that Mount Fuji, only if it didn't mm. cost like $1,400. When I bought the Aurora at Muse Pens, uh, this Aurora was half the retail price for Japan. Hmm. So, I mean... It's still a very expensive pen, okay? It's it's not it's not a cheap pen at all. But now I feel like I've really gotten um, the these two pens that that do mean a lot to me. Mm. Um, given just you know, I was born in Taiwan, I live in Japan now. It has it has a Mount Fuji, a Rising Star, and a Tori. Which is, I mean, that's basically the logo of of our podcast, right? Mm. <laughs> so, that's true. so I was like, you know, I do have to get this. Um, I really like it. It is actually a metal section, so that's not the same as the um, as the Sun Moon Lake. But the metal section, I actually quite like it. Except it, it does get a bit fingerprinty, but um, but I like that it weighs the pen down a bit. Have both of them in my hands right now. Mm. Um, I wish that this pen, uh, this pen is by the way, it's it's white, uh, Aurora Lloyd. And Aurora Lloyd is kind of like, uh, it's kind of like a crush material, kind of, um, similar to older, uh, older, um, yeah, Conway Stewart like mm. crush material. This one is white and translucent, so you can see that there is ink in here, which I think is super, super cool. And um, it's white, pearlescent, and between that crush, there are these blue speckles all over um, in between those crush parts. So mm. it does look like that um, reflection on the lake. Oh, I really nice. like that. Uh, the, the pen is rose gold trim, uh, both both the Sun Moon Lake and the... And the um, the um, Mount Fuji are uh, are rose gold trims, but I wish that this pen had instead of this white Aurora Lloyd finial top finial, I wish it were red. Because I, you know I, I feel like it's a bit of a lost opportunity, right? Like Mount Fuji sunrise, you, you know the symbol of Japan. You got to put a red uh, top finial on here, but maybe that's a future project uh that i take on but for now i'm i'm very pleased with this pen mm. it's 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 beautiful i got it in abroad and i ground it down to a naginata um but i already have the gotcha on my sun moon lake right so what i did is i ground this naginata to be more 
for Chinese writing, so more flat with a flatter triangle.、Mm. And I'm probably going to swap these two nibs since they're both rose gold, anyways. So, did you grind it when you came back to Japan, or did you actually bring your grinding gear to Hong Kong and ground it at your hotel or whatever it was? I did bring my grinding gear to Hong Kong and I ground it over there. Of course.、Um, but it was fun. I was debating whether to grind it to an oblique or, or a nag.、Um, and the reason why is because I tried an OBB at Muse Pens.、Mm. Jacob, let me tell you this OBB, it's incredible. It, it, it's fantastic. So I might、uh, just go ahead and order a rose gold OBB,、um, you know, just as a spare. Uh, just in case I, I ever need to use one、um, from Muse Pens as well. But, anyways, that's really fantastic.、Uh, great pen. And I have to say,、uh, sorry I'm taking so long on this, but this Sun Moon Lake, this is an Optima style. So that means it's the flat top, and the, the Mount Fuji is the 88 style, which means it's the round top. Right. The funny thing is that. It actually changes the entire balance of the pen. I didn't notice this before, but the Optima, obviously being flat top, it is a bit shorter. The, Sun,、uh, the, the Mount Fuji, that length, that added length,、mm. actually impacts where and how I hold the pen.、Mm. And I didn't really notice this with Sailors, but with this Aurora, it was very apparent to me. So. That's interesting because for me, I do notice the very same thing with sailor pens and pilot pens. So I would always, always post a pro gear, but I don't feel that I need to, to post a profit pen. And same thing with a pilot. I always post, always post a custom heritage, but I don't feel I need to post a normal custom pen. That's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm comparing it right now.、Mm. And the 88, just the body, is actually a bit longer. At least on this model, it is、mm. a bit longer than, than that Optima.、Um, so that is, that is pretty interesting. I, mean,、mm. I don't post my pens at all, and usually I can use cigars, flat tops, whatever.、Mm. Um, but yeah, I guess I just don't have a lot of models where one is a flat top and the other is a round top, but then it's, it's actually the same dimensions. Right, right. Yeah, so that, that's、uh, just an interesting observation that I had. By the way, one thing about what you said you said that this pen is, is cheaper. I think you said half the price, but cheaper、uh, in Hong Kong than in Japan. All I would、yeah. add to that is that that's a fairly low bar because there are very few, there are very few Western pens <laughs> that are affordable in Japan. The only brand that comes to mind. Is Pelican. For whatever reason, Pelican pens are fairly affordable in Japan, but especially Italian pens, they tend to be very expensive in Japan. Yeah, it must be the distributor, I think.、Mm. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I think the price on Italian pens here are a, a bit of a turnoff, to be、mm. honest. Like a, a regular. A regular Optima pen, right? That's like $800 to $900 here、mm. in Japan. 
whereas the rest of the world it's like it's more in like the five to well, yeah, maybe yeah, four yeah. to six hundred range right so i think the rest of the world sailor pricing and aurora pricing are actually getting pretty competitive yeah yeah but in japan sailor is still top because it's just much less expensive to to get that yeah yeah i would say with sailor the difference is smaller now than it was before i feel like they they have they have bumped prices more in japan than they have elsewhere yeah and i think sailor sailor did multiple price increases right mm. in the past two years so yeah i do think that that is that's a fair observation yeah um, but I have also been active on Yahoo auctions while I was gone. Um, I got several, uh, I got some good deals and some bad deals. Um, one of the good deals that I got was, uh, was this Mont Blanc 149. And, you know, I have, I have a few Mont Blanc 149s. Um, usually they go for, how much do they go for? Like $300? Yeah, like thirty thousand to thirty-five thousand yen is is probably what you yeah. end up paying for. Yeah, and so if if you are serious about buying a Mont Blanc here, you want to buy secondhand because one, the nibs are generally better, and two, you get it for half the retail price, right? Yeah, I paid eight hundred dollars for this particular one four nine. Did I tell you about this one four nine? The only Mont Blanc I remember you bought was that you got some fantastic some guy deal on Mercury. So I assume this is a different one. Yeah, this is a different one. So this pen is a 1950s celluloid Mont Blanc 149 from okay. the later half of the 1950s with a round ebonite feed and a telescopic piston filler. These usually go for about thousand six hundred to, to maybe two thousand dollars, at least the ones that I've seen, mm. right? So I put an early bid on it, and um, and I put like initially five hundred dollars as my as my max price, and then you know I see these people they're they're coming you know they're, they're trying to push the price up a bit. I'm still the max bidder, right? So, I, and then I put like 800. I just didn't want them to feel that there was a limit, so they could keep going, keep going, keep going. But if they go too far, they have to pay for it, right? So, so I, I kind of use that like mind trick, um, in a mm. sense, uh, to to really keep that max bid high enough, but not as high as I might otherwise have paid for. And it was an excruciating two weeks to wait for for this pen, Jacob, because I didn't know if it worked or not. So I got the pen. Um, I came back yesterday. The pen does not work. But are the are the parts like you know piston and so on? Are they so unusual that you would that you would be different difficult to find uh, replacements? Here's the thing. Um, the piston does not work, but it might be serviceable. So the piston is actually stuck uh, in the pen. 
and I'm buying or I've bought a tool now to disassemble that mm. piston. So I just need it to be sent to me from the United States. But I really need to open up the pen mm. first in order to see whether it is salvageable or not. Mm. Hopefully it is. But if it's not, I don't think that's a necessarily a huge deal. We can, I can always get, you know, either Kanesaki-san or, or somebody else to rebuild a body around that for me. Um, yeah, I don't think that's it's a huge deal. Mm. This also, nib, though. I also wonder if uh, Mr. Eurobox uh, potentially has replacement parts. I think he's big on rep, uh, repair and replacements. Yeah. Um, I he, he has the tool to disassemble it, I know, because I've brought some of these celluloid... Um, uh, Mont Blanc's to him mm. before. It's just so hard to to book his time now. I mean, he only works two days of a week in a week. It's really hard to 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 get his time. Yeah. So, um, maybe I'll go that way if I can't actually open up the the body. But um, I'm not too bothered. I think as long as the telescopic piston still telescopes, um, you know, I'll either refurbish it myself or I will um, I will try to uh, get a pen built around it and I think you know what even if it's a regular piston built around this pen the nib and the feed itself is just incredible this nib is actually very very flexy and I think the way that Montblanc used to make their nibs it must be different to what how they do it now and mm. an interesting conversation that I had with Mr. CPN was this idea of making in-house nibs. So when when somebody say when somebody says they make their nibs in-house, what do you think? So yeah, I think sometimes that's a bit disingenuous. I think some pen makers when they say we have our own in-house nibs, usually that means you know we we are using Moonman nibs rebranded. <laughs> <laughs> right, so there may be cases, very few rare cases, where in-house really means custom-made nibs, but I think that is an mm -hmm. overused term. Yeah, um, I, I had this exact conversation with uh, with CPN. He says, you know, Mont Blanc, what in-house means to them means they have, um, they buy like a sheet of gold, like they buy like 14K gold, mm. and then they, they cut into shape and then they... They, they shape the nib and they do the, the engraving and then they, they do the tipping, right? That, that can be considered in-house, mm. right? And he was saying, but for Aurora, what Aurora considers in-house is they buy the gold, they melt it down, they hammer it into sheets, and then they make the nib. That, that's, so, that's properly in-house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Mont Blanc... There's some rumors that they're now made by Bach. You know, I don't really know. But for sure, in-house Mont Blanc nibs of the 1950s is, is not the same as the in-house nibs of today. And you can really feel it. This bounciness, this, um, mm. this responsiveness uh, to your hand, that's really something that we don't see a lot anymore in especially modern Mont Blanc nibs. And, you know... Trust me, I know. Got plenty of them. Um, it's it's a totally different writing experience, and I mean this this triple tone um, 
this three-tone plating. I can see why this pen got really popular really quickly back in the 50s. So, do you think it's more flexy because of the alloy or because of the geometry, or do you think the, the fact that this nib has potentially been used for decades also has something to do with it? I think there's probably like a, a good combination of all of them, but mm. I think this this usage idea, if a ple if a if a if the alloy is not flexy to begin with, mm. usually if you just press hard down on it, it kind of flays and doesn't come back, right? Right. So, I think maybe there's this part of it is that um, the geometry looks to me to be exactly the same. I would say that the alloy is probably the biggest part mm. of it, um, particularly for this nib. The the alloy that is used probably is different, and probably you know they were making it in house mm. back in the day, so they knew exactly what would um, go in there. Whereas if you just buy generic 14k gold and then you know just cut out the nibs and stamp them. You know, you don't necessarily know exactly what the composition of that is right, and how right. that affects the writing. So that's my uh, 149 story. And um, and then I finally tried this Iroful paper. Ah, right, right, right. Yes. What, what do you think? Um, it feels awful to write on, but I don't think it's Cosmo Air Light. Why is that? Because Cosmo Air Light kind of spreads when you write on it. But I think the Cosmo Airlight that you used before is this Yamamoto notebook, and that that is mm. the um, 83 GSM, which is even more spongy, mm. as Alessa mm. calls it. So this right. is the 75 GSM, which is slightly different. That yeah. might be why, then. Mm. That that might be why. Um, yeah, but it still feels pretty awful to write on. Um, <laughs> I think the texture makes it artificially smooth. Yeah. And that's why it was awful? Yeah, it has this... I don't know how to describe it. It feels like you're writing on plastic. Yeah, yeah. That, that's exactly what it feels like. It's... Mm. It'll, it'll be part of my next giveaway. <laughs> I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. No, very, very soon. Um, but, you know, honestly... Seriously speaking, uh, I, I will be doing a giveaway of this Iroful paper with some Kakimori inks. Um, so yeah, pretty interested in seeing how those uh, interact with this paper as well. Yeah, well, the Kakimori inks, we covered that. I think I, at least I've talked about that before. They are, in my experience, some of the most aggressive inks you can imagine. They're usually very nice to write on. Um, they have by far the uh, the highest viscosity of any inks that the Shimibun has tested, but, but they, they must have had some, uh, mixed it in with some, I don't know, surfactants or whatever, something that makes it flow better because it feels, they flow fairly well, but it feels cushioned in a way that more like water inks don't feel like. But that's mm. also the same thing that makes, that causes them to, to bleed on almost anything. Right. And this Irofil also makes it feel cushioned, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so anyways, um, the Aeroful, I, I do have to say that ink does look pretty nice. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But I, I think some people will absolutely love this paper. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. 
If you love Cosmo or Light, I think this is fantastic paper for you. If you like really smooth writing, uh, this this paper could be for you. Yeah. All right, and on um, on the next point, I I have Jacob X two. <laughs> yeah, so I have two. I received two pens, and uh, that I wanted to talk about. So, first of all, a a collector, a a very generous collector, sent me a pen from his personal collection, and this was a Luso pen with a number eight, a large titanium nib, and it had had one of those beautiful Brooks acrylic called Bohemian Twilight, I think. And but not yeah. only that, but he offered to send it to me via. Uh, Mr. Nib Grinder, Mark Bacchus. So not only did I get a very nice pen, I, I got a custom Bacchus grind on it too, which was just remarkably uh, generous. And as you know, I am a fan of Bacchus Predator grind and Architect grind, but this particular nib didn't quite have enough uh, tipping for that kind of grind. So instead I asked Bacchus if he could do a Waverly. Actually, I went back and forth a little bit between Waverly and Mini Fude, which are kind of similar nibs, but they have different goals, right? So Mini Fude gives you a little bit of that brush, right. almost Naginata-ish flair, while still being useful for everyday writing, while the, while the Waverly doesn't give you much in the way of line variation, but it's less sensitive to writing angle is less sensitive to how you tilt your pen than your regular you know fine or medium nib so and they're said to be good for lefties at least pilot's pen doctor told me that waverly nibs are very good for lefties so <laughs> right. so i asked bacchus if he could do a waverly and of course he could do a waverly so he did that and sent me the pen and i got it a few days ago and it is absolutely beautiful with this brook acrylic and as I have come to expect from Bacchus nib grinds it's just like chef's kiss so even though even though it's a Waverly it actually has a little bit of that pencil feedback which surprised me a bit but I think it might have to do with a material so a pilot Waverly has almost no feedback at all right while this one has a little bit of that pencil feedback which I I really quite enjoy um but the reason i wanted to talk about this pen is that up until now i haven't really i haven't really paid attention to these so-called maker pens i just thought of them right. as you know jovo nib holders which is both true but at the same time just missing the point it's missing the point because you're not typically buying a maker pen because of the nib or the feed or even the filling system because those are, with some notable exceptions, they're usually just your like standard block or Jovo uh, cartridge converters. Instead, you know the selling point, the reason why you buy these maker pens is usually the material, right? And especially these you know beautiful custom acrylics. Uh, obviously, Brooks is probably the biggest name in, in in the industry, and for very good reason. He's you know he's a wizard. But I've come to realize there are more and more people now pouring their own custom acrylics, even like their pen makers making their own acrylics as well. I think, for example, what's the name in this Belgian pen maker Giant? No, pens. Giant's pen. Yeah, yeah. yeah, 
I think that they put their own acrylics, for example, and, and they, by the way, do even more wild stuff. I think they, they were the ones that made this wooden pen that was stabilized with diamond cast, which was just crazy in just the best possible way, right? Right, and then they made a color-shifting um, alumilite, I think, or acrylic. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So I think that's where the innovation is now, and I think that is very interesting, and, and I, I have sort of... I, I feel like I've missed that. It's been in my blind spot because I didn't really pay attention to these maker pens. I feel like I want to pay more attention to these maker pens now. And one thing in particular that I, I'm interested in, I want to see is how these acrylic designs might change over time. Because right now we are in, a, let's call it like a primary manipulation phase, by which okay. I mean... Many of these acrylics are very colorful. There are a lot of swirls. There's a lot of sparkles, like chatoyancy. They're very intense in that sense, right? Right. Um, and I wonder if we're going to see some kind of counter trend, something a bit more muted, something a bit <coughs> less intense, similar to with inks, right? So if you think about like like a few years ago, a lot of people were into these, these saturated intense like sheen monstering so i'm thinking about like robert oster fire and ice fire and ice and some even more extreme like krishna inks and i think kwz and others but then we we saw something of like a counter trend we saw these like muted inks we saw these pastel colored chroma shading inks I wonder if we are going to see something more like like that uh, in these acrylics as well. That's uh, now this turning into something of a prediction as well. But that's sort of what I'm what I'm suspecting and what I want to see. Mm. Uh, what what are your what is your take on that? So, um, Giant's pen actually has a pen of mine to to redo. Mm. Um, or rather, build a new body around. Mm. Um, I think that I, I think that there are several components to this, right? The first is the um, the reason why we kind of associate these pens with okay, you know, whatever Bach nib holder mm. or Yovo stick or whatever. A lot of the pens that a lot of these these independent makers make mm. are almost always the same generic shape mm. okay so um th there are some some makers that have very unique shapes but most of the time it's kind of a generic shape um some of the unique shapes uh maybe that i can point out are um Skogsy pen i think has one that looks a lot like it, it looks kind of like a nakaya a silhouette but I think they make really nice pens, and the way that they do it with micarta and have all the um, all the patterns line up, right? That's very very cool. Um, yeah. Again, uh, I think um, you know uh, Luso is one because he does these cool Damascus steel clips. Yeah. Um. So so we have some uh, some makers that do make very cool unique shapes. I would say maybe 80% of the the independent maker industry kind of looks all the same to me. Mm. So where they differentiate is in the materials that they yeah, use, right? Exactly. 
And I think that's where you're getting at. Yeah. The I have a primary primary manipulation pen in front of me right now. Um, I have, um, I think this is the Vesuvio um, Leonardo. I believe this is the first run mm. where Leonardo made a Memento Zero Grandes um, piston fillers out of actually primary manipulation mm. one. Have you held primary manipulation in your hands? No, I've only seen photos. I never have seen one in person. Okay, I, I will bring this pen to you next time. Um, I think the allure of this pen is that it's got like six or seven different colors in it with translucent parts and opaque parts. Yeah. And I have to say that no other material really looks like this. It is a fantastic material. Um, and then you have those like Bohemian Twilights or um, Red Cherry Koi that Brooks does, where yeah. there's a little bit more of like, I believe the Bohemian Toilet has some glitter in it, right? Yeah. So I think those two, this swirly um, but semi-translucent plus opaque colors, that's one trend. Yes. And then the swirly stuff with glitter, but that is mostly opaque is a second trend. Mm, okay. So I think they're, they're, they are different things. Um, what but I think they're similar in the sense that they're both very like intense. Like if you have a, yes. if you have a pen that has a little, little ink window or where you can see the ink, it's, it's like you don't even see the ink because, <laughs> because the color of the barrel yes. is so intense. Yes, that I agree with you. Will there be a return to muted um, colors? I think that's that's difficult because as far as I can see, the trend is going to, you know, for, for acrylics, right? Going to mm. these sparkly shimmering stuff. Mm. If you want more muted colors, my question is why not use Ebonite? Right? Why not use some other more generic um, mm. materials? Well, the, the reason will be that you want to differentiate, right? You want to make something that no one else has. It, it can't look like your your regular SCM or Nico Ebonite. Right, but it also can't look like a generic black either, right? Because yeah, of course, yeah, white... yeah. That, that's probably taking it a bit right. too far. <laughs> right, so, so I'm wondering, um, I guess what I'm getting at here is I'm curious as to how that idea of more muted colors, how mm. that would take shape. Mm. And, you know, maybe some genius pourer will, will pour mm. something that is absolutely fantastic mm. and blows us out of the water. And, and then, you know, we'll be like, oh, that's what it would look like. Mm. Right now, I don't see that on the market. There is one more thing that I want to explore. Mm. I think that it would be really cool if somebody could do a bunch of sheets of whatever the celluloid acrylic mm. doesn't really matter you know those sheets that they use for for making glasses use epoxy put them together to make something similar to like stack celluloid or like uh, or like an mm. arco effect or um, a micarta effect right mm. i think that would be extremely extremely cool 
Mm. I know that um, Giants Pen has done something like that with on a pen where they stack different um, materials, mm. but they've not created like blanks where it's just stacked, mm. um, you know, sheets mm. of different material put together. So I think that could be cool. And if that came onto the market, mm. that might be popular. So I think one possible like example of what what it might look like is the current Hachimondia pen drive. So they don't they don't they don't have many colors, but they are, they have just a single color, right? And they're fairly light and not that intense. But they have this there's this transparency or translucency to it, which I think elevates them over your regular like single colored mm. pens. And I would like to see more pen makers doing something like that. That could be interesting. That. I think, like a, a a material like this on a Skogsy pen, mm. that could that could look really cool. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, I, I can get behind that. So I think I think what we're really saying is that it's going to be we think it's going to be some kind of counter trend to this very intense primary manipulation type acrylic. But we don't know exactly what it's going to look like. But it will be interesting to see. It would be nice to have. I don't know if it will happen or not, but it would be nice to have. Yes, exactly. So there was one more pen I wanted to talk about. So Endless sent me a pen. Actually, I should clarify because I realized there are two stationary companies called Endless. (laughs) There is Endless out of India and they make make mostly notebooks, right? The Endless Recorder. Then there is Endless in the US and they are an online retailer. And this time it was Endless in the US that sent me a pen. So this is uh, a pen called Kilk, which is, I think, from Turkey. It's a small pen make after Turkey. And um, I, I wrote a review about this pen and I posted on my blog. So I'm not going to talk about that review now. That's not sort of the point. I'll put a link in the show notes. But the reason why I wanted to mention this is that it's because of the nib. So this nib, sorry, this pen came with a Bok steel double broad nib. And we have talked... Uh, recently about oh we have spent hours talking about like Naginata Togis and similar grinds and what kind of nibs you need as starting point for a grind like that and we have said that some of these so called double broad nibs they are effectively just stubs so you remember that 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 Mont Blanc double broad nib that I had there wasn't really that much of a drop as you call it on that nib right right so I was curious about how this Bok double broad looked like. And it's actually a little bit of a, of a drop on this nib. It's not as much as a Japanese coarse nib or a Japanese uh, zoom nib. But there's definitely some of it there. And I think if you want a relatively affordable like starting point uh, that could be ground to a Naginata Toge, I think a Bok steel double broad could be a good option. Yeah, I mean... I think I think that would be very interesting. But aren't they a bit hard to get a hold of just like loose? That I'm not actually sure. I just naively assume that you could just go to like FP Nibs and get Bok double broads. Is that not a case? Maybe. Maybe you can. I, I, mm. I've just never had the thought of doing that. Mm, yeah, because you, you're a gold snob, so you wouldn't That's do that. Right. right. But That's absolutely but right. But these coarse nibs and doom nibs, 
they're not exactly cheap, especially I mean with the recent price increase, they are quite expensive, right? So by comparison, I would I, I think a box steel double broad is like a small fraction of that price. So if you just want someone to make you a naginata and you don't want to spend hundreds of dollars on uh, a zoom, I think this could be a good option. Yeah, I I think it could be for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, I definitely. It's still a BB right now, right? <laughs> yeah, I haven't done anything to it myself. Yeah, that, that's for sure. All right, yeah. Mm. Then definitely bring it out. Uh, bring it out next time we, we see. I, I'll bring it. We'll see if it ever comes yeah. back and in what shape it comes back. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. Well, well, that's gonna be the day we record our next podcast. That's true. That's true. All right. Um. So that's been a lot on whatever we bought. <laughs> yes. Event reports. You went to a System Techo salon. I think a few days ago. Yeah, so Itoya has this annual system touch or system planner event. And this year's event was started two days ago. And uh, and I happened to have a day off because I'd worked last weekend. So I, I went there and this was on the 10th floor of the main Itoya building. So they had this event mm-hmm. space on the 10th floor. And it was quite confusing at first. It took a while for me to figure it out. But... They had divided into two areas. One area had, you know, their regular lineup of planners, the ones that you can buy on any day at Itoya, and they also, and that area also had the refills and hole punches and other accessories. It was still fairly crowded, but not too bad. Then there was another area separated by like a glass wall, and that's where they sold the sh- the show exclusive, the event exclusive planners. Mm-hmm. And it turned out, I didn't know this in advance, but you had to make a reservation if you wanted to enter that area. Oh, <laughs> yes. okay, okay. So you didn't actually get to go in? I didn't get to go in, which is probably for the best because I had recently bought another new planner once again. Um, so I, 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 the last thing I needed was yet another planner. But uh, fortunately, because it was just a glass well, uh, I could uh, see what what they were selling, and it was mostly Ashford. Uh, actually, it was very Ashford centric. And hold on, hold on. You didn't tell us about this new planner. Oh yes. So well, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Well, it, it was maybe not too exciting, but I I went to Mercury and I bought a Bindex planner. So Bindex is a planner brand by the same company that sells Nolte. Planner. So Nolte is sort of the, mm-hmm. the Toyota and Bindex is the Lexus. <laughs> sort of the, okay. the so, so Bindex is, is their system planner. So I needed one, I had a special product that works. I needed a dedicated planner for that. And I managed to find a fantastic price on, on Mercury. And and this is one of those planners that has very small uh, rings. It's fairly slim, which right. is a good thing. So, yeah, so I only like. started using it, so I, I, I might have more to say about it once I've used it more. Mm-hmm. But uh, so far, okay, I'm okay. happy with it. Um, yeah, sorry, but... Anyways, but uh, yeah, this, back uh, to this event. The one thing that struck me was the price, the, the prices. So we talked recently about Plotter, right? And we said that... If you're new to system planners, you might be surprised by how expensive these plotters are. But it turns out that uh, plotters were some of the most affordable planners at this event. (laughs) They were far from the most expensive ones. So, for example, Ashford. 
Ashford was selling an, an M5 Micro 5 size planner. So Micro 5 is, is like smaller than a pocket notebook. It's like it's like ink swatch card size right. planner. And it's almost right. impossible to get um, hole punches for them. Yeah, exactly. Unless unless they're made by Ashford. Yes, exactly. They sold those for 35,000 yen. Uh, twice as much as an a, a plotter five. So th- that was quite expensive. And then there was another brand called Brelio, I think. Their yeah, regular A5 sister planners were close to 80,000 yen. So like four times as expensive as the plotter. <laughs> yeah, and you can really get like expensive um, system tetras. So yes. um, if you look on an account like Aya, mm. uh, Aya6780, she's got all of these like um, exotic leather uh plotters or not not plotters um exotic leather system techos and those cost a pretty penny so yeah definitely don't estimate like don't underestimate how expensive these can get yes for sure but once you're bought into one of those system plans the, the, the accessories are not that expensive the, the refills yeah. are fairly Cheap and and that's you know what we talked about that before at length, but this is one of the selling points that there are various brands selling refills and you 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 have a wealth of options. So for example, I was very tempted yep. to buy a five refills by Kokuyo because they were selling Chobo refills. So Chobo yep. is Kokuyo's like top of the line paper. It's the paper that originally. Um, made for like bank ledgers and it's been around for almost 100 years and it's also the paper they use in their in their expensive century notebooks and there's been rumors about this paper being discontinued i haven't seen any evidence of that but it's it's generally fairly hard to find paper but here itoya sold kokio chobo refills for quite enough quite a low price i can't remember what it was but it was like 500 yen or something like that for like 50, yep. 50 sheet or something like that so um for yeah i have i'm drowning in paper so i didn't actually buy any but i was very tempted <laughs> yeah that that's pretty cool um yeah i think definitely these system techo i i do find it hard pressed to when when you compare like a regular notebook and system techo if you can mm. get the same thing in a system techo why not you've got all these awesome covers to, to work with yeah, to me, I mean, the reason why I like them is that I usually don't use them as like, planners in a normal sense. I usually, if you have right. some kind of project and I ha- and I want, to, I need to move around pages uh, and, and add more refills. And that that's appealed to me that the ability to just add and move around right, pages. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess if you want something that's like like a dated journal yeah then probably like hobonichi works pretty well i mean i i I myself bought a weeks so Mm. um so yeah i'm hoping that works out better for me um but then if you're doing like bullet journaling i actually think bullet journaling works really well for the system techo like infrastructure yeah for sure that could be a good good combination yeah because I think the the thing about bullet journaling is that if you make a mistake, right, you kind of just think, um, and you know, I kind of ruined it. But then with System Techo, you can actually just swap out that single sheet. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, next thing, I, I mentioned that I went to Hong Kong. Um, you know, I talked about Muse, talked about Ink House. 
Uh, Leo Falk, um, who we've had on the podcast yeah. fairly recently, was very gracious to invite me to one of the Hong Kong Saturday morning uh, meetups. And met a lot of cool people there. Um, met a lot of... They were mostly vintage collectors and they were very knowledgeable about like specific details on vintage pens you know like extremely into that part of of the world um and i guess that's something that i'm a little bit less knowledgeable about i mean i have vintage pens but i'm I'm certainly not at that Mm. level of uh of knowledge and um yeah somebody called simon uh brought these pencils these retractable mechanical pencils and i had actually already seen this on on leo's instagram but what's interesting about these pencils is that they are italic pencils so the the lead is shaped like an italic nib oh yeah so that's pretty cool um i got two of these pencils so i'll probably send one off to you um, as well next time we see each other. But that was very, very nice and very awesome of him. I think some of those people were featured in Shumunu Bungabaku, right? When they had both yes. some Japanese and Hong Kong pen collectors. Yes, that's right. So um, when I was there, I was saying, hey, uh, actually, we've all kind of, I guess, we've met each other in, in the pages. Yeah. Um, but this is obviously the first time I, I met them in real life. Um, but yeah, that, that was, uh, that was that crew, um, Mm. over there. Yep. Um, and then I think the last thing that I want to talk about, uh, is that I've started this business cursive class. Um, and I was in quarantine. The internet wasn't so good. So I wasn't able to, uh, make the first two, the third one I made. Um, and that was, it was very interesting because it kind of got me rethinking about, you know, why I'm using fountain pens, you know, how I can use them better and I did kind of just want to chat about whether you use your pens for... Do you ever, like, practice writing? If I practice writing? Uh, yeah. <laughs> not as much as I should. Not as much as I should. But I actually, I fairly recently tried to do more printing. Yeah, uh, because, like, last year, uh, as you know, I had to study a lot for, for some like, professional uh, qualifications. And I had to be able to, first time in a while, it was really important that I could read what I wrote, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, and that is not always the case with my cursive. Uh, sometimes I'm struggling to figure out what I actually wrote. Right. Uh, so I, I did spend some time to try to come up with something that wasn't necessarily pretty, but, but it was fully readable. So that's the extent of my practice. Right. Do, do you ever think like, oh, I want to, you know, consciously put in an effort to maybe uh, improve this particular letter? I want it to look a different way or are you regularly pretty happy with how your, your characters look? No, that actually happens. I mean, in particular, if someone writes a particular letter in a way I like, mm-hmm. I just like, steal that from them and, and <laughs> try to get that into my system. Yeah, I, I find that for, for myself, I'm fairly okay with how my letters look generally, but I have difficulty in spacing and consistency. So my my letters are just, you know, they're, they're different sizes and they're like mm. all over the place. So that's something that I really wanted to actively um, improve at. So that's mm. why I'm taking this business cursive 
um, class. It, it's it's very good. Uh, definitely recommend it. Maybe I'll link. Um, we'll link uh, this teacher's page uh, in the show notes. But yeah, I, I'm trying to to improve a little bit on you know my handwriting and just get better at using the the wonderful tools that I mm. have. Yeah. All right. Um, let's wrap it up with some Sailor Urushi stuff. Yeah, I put a link in the show notes. Maybe you have already seen this, but they just announced uh, three new Urushi pens. Uh, you might recognize the shape because in two like two years ago, slightly more than two years ago, they they released like three or four pens with the same shape but with different uh, Urushi designs. Mm-hmm. So, so here they're reusing the shape, um, but they have new Urushi designs. So there are like three different, like two different styles from Tohoku in northern Japan, and then it's one from uh, from Ishikawa, I think. And they look very nice. They look they look more elaborate than than the three previous ones. But the thing that struck me was that they have raised the price by exactly fifty percent. So in two years, they bumped the price with 50%. <laughs> so these are 132,000 yen instead of 88,000 yen plus tax. Um, do you like how these look? I like the middle one, the one called like, what's it, Kino Shiru or something like that. There's an Iwata style that... Right. It, it doesn't actually look like Urushi. <laughs> it looks more like one of those like acrylics that we talked yeah, about. Yeah, yeah before but, but i like how they managed to do their transparency and i'm interested i would like to see it in person because i was talked a lot to hiroko about which particular like, colors are well suited for like transparency or translucency and she tends to favor like red and orange because it's easier to get that to get right. that translucent look and it's particularly hard with, like red and green she said but yeah. here they seem to have done it well with some kind of t- green, blue, turquoise color, which uh, looks nice. Yeah, I, th- I, I think... Um, let's start with the shape. really don't like the shape. Uh, it, it's okay. It just... You, you know those replacement bodies, like those replacement wood bodies that you sometimes see on like Mercari yeah. and Yahoo auctions for like pilots? Like, that's what this looks like to me. I think uncapped, it looks pretty nice. But capped, it looks like a mushroom. That's a, a way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's... I just feel like these could have had any random nib on it and would have been the same pen. Right? Like, these don't look like sailors to me. Mm-hmm. So I feel like just in terms of the design language there, mm. if it wasn't for the nib, like how would I know that it's a sailor? Mm. That kind of bothers me a bit. Yeah, I agree. It seems to be, but it, so this seems to be like a shape they came up with only to do this maybe, I don't know, annual or whatever it may be, like regular Rouge designs. In a way, in a way, that reminds me of what Wancher is doing. Like they came up with that, or maybe they, they bought or borrowed that dream pen shape, right? And now they seem to use that right. as a base for like a, a new Urushi design every few months. It looks like right. Sailor is doing the same thing here. Well, it looks like a Wancher pen. 
Um, I, I I agree with you. The the middle one is is interesting and looks different from like other mm. Urushi. Obviously, we won't know until mm. we have them in hand. But I, I'd be intrigued to to see this one. Um, yeah, I, and I have heard the same thing that green is particularly difficult. Mm. My personal favorite might be the red Ishikawa one, mm. but I'm not quite sure how it's different from like regular Taminuri. Yeah, it does like, look it does look a lot like like Taminuri. That's for sure. Right, it looks like Akataminuri. Um, I mean, again, I won't really be able to see mm. until until I have it in hand. This Aomori one, I really don't like. It's not. It's definitely not my taste either. But I find it interesting because it's. It's once again just like the green one. It's not. If you didn't know, you, you might not even think that it's Urushi, right? It looks like some some wild acrylic. At least at a distance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it looks like somebody dropped paint. <laughs> um. Yeah. No, but it, it's definitely different. It's definitely different. It, it's. Maybe it's just not my taste. Maybe it's just not my taste. Let, let's leave it at that. It's not my taste. <laughs> so at first I I thought the well the price increase is mm-hmm. is quite significant. But then I I went and looked at the price for gold futures and how that has changed since the previous model was released, and it's actually gone up pretty much exactly fifty percent too. Now obviously there is more to the pen. Then the nib and, the, sm- and yeah. the nib is not 24k gold, but I thought that was a very interesting correlation that the price of the pen has gone up almost exactly as much as the corresponding price for gold futures. This looks like a regular, um, like a large size sailor nib, right? So this is not the KOP nib. Exactly. Yeah. This is a 20. This is the yeah. year. Yeah. So I don't see the justification of paying a thousand three hundred dollars. Right, but this might mean this might be a sign of things to come again. I mean, this might be an indication that the next round of KOPs might also get another bump. Well, that, I mean, I have a Kaiha that I am going to sell, so maybe I should wait for that. Yeah, that I mean, I remember when we talked about the Kaiha when it came out, and, and even though you know, the it, it's an it's an interesting pen because it's obviously Nagahara's last sailor pen but we thought even so it was quite expensive now it seems outright affordable compared to this year's sailor releases oh absolutely i mean what the what the the regular um ebonite kops are 1700 now so yeah yeah it's it's crazy but what is hilarious is that if you go to Marazen and look at their display you see this they still have a few of these kops the older ones right asian yeah. way Right, and mm-hmm. and they still sell that at the old, at the old MSRP. So you're paying like sixty five thousand yen for that. And then next right. to the Asian way, you have the, the the regular boring black resin, which is even more expensive. All right, yeah. Anyways, um, new Sailor Urushi. I, I always feel like I almost wish Sailor gave up on Urushi because Platinum, I mean Nakaya, and and pilot just do it so much better i think they're kind of playing out of their their niche here Mm. um what do you think i like these i mean the the base pen aside i like what they're doing here because this is 
different from what what you, you what you've seen in the past. Like they have been fairly conservative with you know Tamanuri style or like Ishime style. This is fairly unusual, and and I give them credit for 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 selling some fairly unusual Urushi designs. So I just sent you a um, a post on Instagram from Izumi Pen, and this is a picture of a Sailor Double Dragon KOP from back in the days. If they did stuff like this, like this kind of quality, I'd be like, Sailor, go do Urushi. Yeah, I think this is. I think this appeals to a different audience. I I, I feel like this is more. I, I, I don't want to get in trouble again, <laughs> again. <laughs> but but I feel like it, let's just leave it there. I feel like it appeals to a different audience. Right, but but what I'm saying is that like the the quality of Urushi here, you know that the the section is done, um, you know the overall finish, the colors, mm. the 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 range of styles that they use here, yeah. just just the techniques overall, right? It, it seems a lot more. High quality, and this is obviously very much a pilot style um, urushi that they do. Yeah. But even for for the other stuff, the, uh, remember when they came out with this wabi sabi urushi king, king of pen? That I only vaguely like bad, recall that. Yeah. It, yeah, it, it looked like a bad burn victim. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, now I remember. <laughs> I remember it's just. That. You know, if you're going to do that kind of stuff, mm. I'd rather you not do the Rushi. If you want to do the Rushi, then, you know, I really want you to do it properly. And I feel like, I just wonder, is Sailor doing Urushi just to do Urushi? Mm. Or do they do mm. Urushi because they, they've got something to say here? Um, yeah. But I don't completely agree because I think that someone might find that green one we just talked about appealing because it's like a stylish pen and I think the same person might think that this Izumi pen is like ostentatious and like yeah an Oyaji pen right I, can I def- agree but you wouldn't be able to find this this um, double dragon pen mm. on an acrylic body right 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 like it's not possible mm. but the blue one you could you could mm. make something that's very similar in effect with an acrylic body. So remember we had this discussion about, you know, um, doing things the good old way just to do them the good old way. Mm. I, I just wonder, is Sailor doing something like that right now? But what I think they're doing with his new pens is that they seem to feature different Urushi styles from across the country. At least that's what I'm yep. reading into. That's what I'm hoping what, what they're doing. And if that yep. is the case, I am all for that. That they have they have this one base model and every few years they come up with a, a new Urushi design based of based on some styling like Totori this time or whatever, right? Right, right. And obviously the, the masters know more than I do. You know, I'm just a I'm just a scrub uh, out here being a keyboard warrior so so what do i know but um but yeah that's just how i i feel about the pens when i see them mm. um but again definitely want to want to see them in our hands otherwise we really can't tell absolutely yeah yeah all right and uh i think that's uh, the episode jacob you got anything else to add only that this morning i thought we didn't have any topics for today 
<laughs> and then now we're 14 minutes over how long we usually talk. Yes. All right. Um, all right. So with that, that's been the episode. Thank you, everybody, so much. My name is CY. You can find me on my website at tokyostationpens.com, on Instagram and TikTok at tokyostationpens, and on Twitter at tokyostationmnh. And my name is Jacob. I'm a Fudo fan on Instagram and on Twitter. I have a blog at fudofan.com and I have not started doing sea shanties on TikTok just yet. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.